we are gathered here this morning for the express purpose of worshiping the God of heaven. If you read my Facebook post this morning when I checked in here, I made mention of the fact that we were not going to be joined today by the gymnasts for Jesus, and they are not here. And I mentioned that the magicians for the Master were not going to be part of our assembly today either, and they didn't come. But the Lord is in this place, and we're grateful for His presence. Today is the day that has always been set aside in my lifetime and yours, that is known officially in the United States of America as Mother's Day. It's that day that we honor those women in our lives who've made an eternal difference. Perhaps for you it was a woman who gave birth to you. And yet it may be an aunt, a sister, or some other dear woman in your life. Someone who's made a difference in your life. Someone who has changed your life for the better. Many of you have your mothers still here. Many of us here today wish that our mothers were still with us. And then we could honor them. And we could remember them. And we could love them. I read an interesting story the other day about a little six-year-old boy who was in a large supermarket. Not like anything we've got around here, but like one of those nice HEDs like they have in College Station or Austin. And this little six-year-old boy got separated from his mother in the supermarket. And so he began frantically and cheerfully calling, Martha, Martha, Martha. And his, that was his mother's name. And so she came running and she said, Honey, you shouldn't call me Martha. To you, I'm mother. He said, Yeah, I know, but this store's full of mothers. I read somewhere in a South American village. A Highland tribe came and attacked a village of lowland people. The Highlanders smashed up the village and left taking plunder. The plunder they took included a baby. The men of the low village were not very courageous. They were not very fit men. And they were afraid to go up into the mountains after the Highlanders to rescue the baby. And the baby's mother begged them to help her. And so when the baby's mother begged them to help her, they just shrugged and lowered their heads and they walked away. The baby's mother left the village. She set off on a path up the mountainside. And she disappeared. And she was gone for two days and two nights. Then on that third day, she came down the mountainside, carrying her baby with her. The men of the village said, how could you do that? How could you, a mere woman, 
climb all the way up to the top of those hills and secure the rescue of this child from those barbarians. How were you able to face those ruthless tribesmen? She looked deep into their eyes and into their souls and she said, It was my baby. What she did for her child. Most women I know would do for their child. But when you think about what that woman did for her child, and you think about the love that a mother has for her child, that's also what Jesus did for us. Our text this morning comes from Isaiah's prophecy, the 66th chapter in verse 13. It reads this way. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. You see, God wants us, me and you, God wants us to know Him. Oftentimes in the Scriptures, God uses different pictures and different examples to reveal Himself and His character to us. And God considers the role of motherhood to be a very high calling. In biblical times, when a man married, he actually gained another possession. In that far off day and time, every wife was under her husband's absolute authority. When a man decided to marry a wife, the meaning of that phrase in that far off day and time was actually closer to becoming the master of a wife. And yet, even though a woman's position in the household was one of subservience to her husband, she was still in a higher position than anyone else in the household. A woman's principal duty was to produce a family, preferably sons, because in that way the family's financial future could be assured. In those days, mothers generally nursed their children until they were about three years old. And during that period of time, husbands and wives were usually not intimate with each other. It provided a natural form of birth control. So it gave the mother the time to devote to her youngest child. And the mothers had the total care, the final say-so of their children, both sons and daughters, until they were about six years old. The children would help their mother with the household tasks. She taught them basic lessons in life on living within their culture. After six years of age, the boys would generally become the family shepherd. And they would spend the day with their father, 
learning to tend the sheep and do the things that the family earned its livelihood from. The daughters would stay with their mothers throughout all their growing up years. And they would be taught spinning and weaving and cooking and how to behave. They were taught what to expect in their future roles as wives and mothers. But the mothers were the ones who provided the nurturing in those families. Mothers are still the ones who provide the nurturing in a family. And a mother's love is an unconditional love. And a mother will always be there for her children. If you have any doubt about the unconditional nature of a mother's love, if you have any doubt about the fact that a mother will always be there for her children, go back to the book of 2 Samuel and read 2 Samuel chapter 21. Read the story of Rizpah. And I want you to read that story and I want you to see Rizpah as she stands guard over the bodies of her sons that were hanged. She would not allow the birds to nest on them. She would not allow the beasts of the field to even come near them. You think about that. Is it any wonder that God elected in our text in Isaiah to describe himself in the terms of a mother? Or do you remember the scene in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Jesus is on a hillside overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He's lamenting over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest them which are sent to thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. And you would not. As Jesus laments over the city of Jerusalem, he describes himself in terms of a mother, a mother hen guarding her chicks to be exact. The story is told of a man who was looking over the charred remains of his farm after a fire. And as he's walking through the barnyard, he notices a lump of something that's still moving. He kicked it. And from underneath this charred mass came a baby chick. The mother hen had given her life to protect that baby chick. That, folks, that's the way Jesus described himself. That's what Jesus did when He hung on the cross on Calvary's hill and bore our sins. That's what Jesus did when He gave up His life to pay our sin debt. As one whom His mother comforteth, so I will comfort you, God said. There is no protector like a mother. 
think about what we see in the animal kingdom. Sometimes go up on a mama dog that's got a new batch of puppies. A mama dog that doesn't know you. That's not your dog. And see just how close you get to those pups. You won't get very close because of that mama dog. Those puppies are the most important thing in her existence. A gentle old cow turn on you in a heartbeat if they feel you're going to harm the calf. Then again, how about gathering fresh eggs? Talk about an activity that requires some special, a special skill set. Gathering fresh eggs requires a very special skill set. And those things are true throughout the whole realm of the animal kingdom. A mother will give up anything. A mother will do anything to protect the life of her young, even to the point of giving up her own life. But more than the animal kingdom, what about the mothers we read about in the Scriptures? Does the name Jochebed mean anything to you? She and her husband had a little baby boy. And Pharaoh had declared that all the baby boys would be drowned in the river. That they would be killed at birth. I started to say Pharaoh must have been a Democrat, but I decided I wouldn't say something like that. Jacobin, in defiance of Pharaoh's order, took her baby and put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River. It was there. The daughter of Pharaoh found that baby among the reeds who was watching from the shore. Moses' sister. And she goes, Would you like for me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, that's a great idea, she said. So, Pharaoh's daughter took him to the palace to raise him as her son. And Moses' mother was his nurse. God's providential care directed the events so Moses would be discovered and his real mother would be chosen to be his nurse in Pharaoh's palace. And all of that because of a mother's desire to protect her child. Or go over to 1 Kings chapter 3. There's a story there in verses 16 through 28. I'm not going to read the whole story. You learned it in Sunday school when you were real little. There were those two harlots sleeping in the bed with their children, with their babies, and one of them rolled over and suffocated and killed her baby during the night. But that story tells you something. Even a woman of questionable character becomes a great protector of her child. The woman who had killed her baby wanted to claim the other woman's baby. Solomon knew the real mother would rather give up her child than see it killed. So when he said, I'm going to just cut the child in half, 
The real mother said, no, let her have it. It's hers. And that's how Solomon knew whose baby it was. When her child is threatened, a mother will become fierce. There is nothing more dangerous, nothing more deadly than a mother who thinks her child is in danger. I'd just as soon face a den of rattlesnakes because I think my chances of survival would be better. I'm reminded of a story that came out of the French Revolution. Do you remember who Jean Valjean was? Or maybe you would have called him Jean Valjean. He was the principal character in Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. It had its setting during that French Revolution. The story of Jean Valjean was that he was in prison because he stole a loaf of bread for his family. Well, one of the things related in that novel, it seems a mother had wandered through the woods for three days with her two children, trying to survive on roots and leaves. And on the third day, she heard some soldiers approaching, and she quickly hid herself and the children behind some bushes. The sergeant in charge of the soldiers noticed the movement, so he prodded the bushes to see what was stirring behind them. And when he saw the starving woman and the starving children, he had compassion on them. And he immediately gave them a loaf of brown bread. That mother eagerly took that bread. And she broke that bread into two pieces. She gave one piece to each child. <clears throat> Another soldier asked, Is that because she's not hungry? The sergeant said, No. It's because she's a mother. But folks, there is one whose protection is greater than that of a mother. And that's the protection of God. It's the greatest protection that there is. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 91, verses 1 through 4. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield. And thy mother. The psalmist points out to us there is no safer place to be than the shadow of Almighty God. We think of God as our good shepherd. We think of God as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Yes. There's no love or protection greater than that of a mother. 
But there's also no touch like the touch of a mother. Think about that. Think of mother's touch in the family. It's mother who kisses the hurt and makes it go away. When a child falls off the tricycle or they fall off the kitchen cabinet trying to sneak into the cookie jar. When a child is hurt, who do they want? Trust me, it ain't daddy. They cry for mommy. And those chubby little arms come up in the air and the tears roll down their cheeks and mommy picks those little chubby arms up and hugs them and kisses those little chubby cheeks and the pain goes away. Have you ever thought about the arms of God? How often the arms of God stretch out to pick us up and love us and hug us close and kiss our cheeks and make it better and we reject those loving arms of God. When you think about the touch of mother compared to the touch of God, the touch of God healed the sick and made the lame to walk again. The touch of God brought healing to the deaf and sight to the blind eyes. That's why the mothers brought their children to Jesus. Jacob wrestled with God. God touched his thigh and changed the walk of Jacob from that point on. He became Israel. When God touches your life, it'll change the way you walk too, just like he did Jacob. There is no forgiveness like that of a mother. Mom's forgiveness is almost supernatural. The boys will mess up sometimes. I'm talking about Norma's two sons by her first husband, you know. They'll mess up. And when they mess up, she'll bluster a little bit. Daddy won't say a lot. But then they'll pick up the phone. They'll call say, Mom, we're coming home. And it's like it never happened. Now, Dad may give them a cold shoulder for a little while. Dad may even take them in the other room and have a little talk with them. But for Mom, her babies are coming home. All a wayward child ever has to say is, Mom... Mom, I'm coming home. And any wayward child, a mother is ready to forgive them and believe they're going to go do right. They may do the same thing a thousand times. And mom always believes they're going to do better because mommy always believes the best. Because in mom's eyes, there are always that little boy and there are always that little girl. With those big eyes and that adorable smile and those chubby little cheeks. That, folks, is the love of God. Like a mother's forgiveness, God stands ready 
forgive me and you. No matter how many times we mess up at this business called life, God's ready to forgive. That's why Jesus came into this world. To pay my sin debt and yours. That's why we've got that beautiful story in Luke 15 of that boy that left home ended up swapping the hogs. And as he came back down the road toward home, his father saw him and ran to meet him and said, My son that was lost has been found. Killed a fatted calf, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his finger. Let's have a party. My son has come home. That's also the same reason that John wrote what he did in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. He said, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's be standing together this morning. I don't know the need of your life. I don't know whether you need the forgiveness of God or not this morning. I don't know if you need to come to Jesus Christ for the very first time, repenting of sin, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sin. I don't know if you've done that, but you want to say, God, I'm coming home. I have God ready to forgive you. What changes you might need to make in your life, this is your opportunity to do that while we sing this song.